You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Eurosimos. Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Here for the Truth podcast. I'm Joel Rafidi. As always, I've got my co-host, Eurosimos. Bro, I need a new intro. I say that every single time. But regardless, today we have Veda Austin in the house. She's an incredible researcher um, in the topic of water and the many interesting and miraculous qualities that water has and what she's discovered through her research really is quite profound. Um, so this is a quite, quite an interesting conversation. Um, other than that, just our membership community is pumping, it's thriving. We're doing three calls a month, some with our podcast guests. And, you know, if you're just looking for, I guess, a haven of sanity in like an insane world right now, then check out friendsofthetruth.co. Um, it really is such an awesome community. All our episodes, as always, are on our website at hereforthetruth.com. Just got myself a new hat. You can grab some merch if you want. Shameless plug. Let me have a sip, sip, let me have a sip of my very well-intended water. There we go. Without any further ado, guys, here is Beta Austin. Enjoy this episode. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the Here for the Truth podcast. As always, I know I say it every week, but we have an incredible guest here today. Veda Austin is in the house. Veda is a water researcher, public speaker, mother, artist, and author. She has dedicated the last 10 years to observing and photographing the life of water. She believes that water is fluid intelligence, observing itself through every living organism on the planet and in the universe. Her primary area of focus is photographing water in its state of creation, the space between liquid and ice. It is through her remarkable crystallographic photos that water reveals its awareness of not only creation, but thought and intention through imagery. Veda brings a message of hope and joy from the very source of life itself. She says water is transparent. It knows no color, creed, or religion. Water does not judge, nor does it label. It will enter the body of an ant as easily as it will enter the body of a king or a homeless person or a tree or a dragonfly. Water is our constant companion. From the moment we're conceived, it's always with us, even upon death. It is water that evaporates from the physical risings upwards into the heavens. What an incredible introduction and beautiful words there. Beta, such a pleasure to have you here. It's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Oh, no worries at all. We're really excited for this conversation. One way we really like to kick this off, um, especially with first-time guests, is we'd like to dive a little bit into your personal hero's journey. Um, so what were the, some of the major rites of passages that you experienced in your life that I guess really allowed you and, evolve, and allowed you to evolve into doing this work and being who you are today? Well, there's been several things, but there was, I think the thing that really made me go into this inquiry about water was when I had an incredibly serious car accident, which which was well over 20 years ago now. But essentially, I was the passenger and um, we went under a truck and rolled twice and the driver died immediately. He was actually decapitated. It was one of the worst accidents in New Zealand where someone survived. And over the course of quite a number of years, I had eight surgeries, mostly for bowel surgery, because if you can imagine, I, I was wearing a seatbelt and on impact, and especially under uh, the conditions we went through, the seatbelt kind of um, was keeping me in the seat, but it crushed my internal organs and snapped my um, my clavicle, my, my collarbone. 
And so I, I had a lot of internal bleeding, which intent, basically left scar tissue on my small bowel so that every time I would try to eat food, um, that scar tissue, by the way, had grown. It would grow over over a year to a point where when eating food was impossible, I would just be vomiting and vomiting and be in extreme pain. And when I go to the hospital, they'd put me on an IV uh, drip. And because I wasn't actually eating food and I was just getting water with salt in it, uh, I was I would recover. Um, but I couldn't just live on nothing my whole rest of my life. Although, you know, I did start wondering whether that kind of area would be something I should look into because food became such an issue for me. And and it was, it was horrible because I enjoy food. And so, you know, that was hard. So after a number amount of, I had three or four, <laughs> I went in for bowel surgery four times and the rest of the surgeries were for either my clavicle or for endometriosis. So um, the last surgery, they put a stent in my small bowel. And when I woke up, the doctors were standing around and and they were looking concerned and they said, well, you haven't recovered very well from, from the surgery and now you have showers of blood clot in your, clots in your lungs and uh, we want you to be on warfarin potentially for the rest of your life. And, and I was in my early 20s and I'm just like, what? <laughs> what? What do you mean? I went in for bowel surgery and now I have clots in my lungs? And um, it was really surreal, quite honestly. You know, I've always looked after my health. I, I became vegetarian when I was eight years old. I've never drunk alcohol. I've never smoked a cigarette. I've never done anything. I live a very holistic life and that's my nature. So it was quite confronting the idea of having to, to take something like that every day. And so I really got fed this fear, like you're going to die if you don't do this. And so I took warfarin for a few few months and then I had an x-ray and the x-ray said my chest was clear, but they couldn't understand why it had happened. They thought potentially because I'd had so many surgeries, it was just a, something to do with the anesthetic. So I thought, well, you know, I know my body can heal itself. And, and I, I really, really believe that I can make my body so well that that this is going to be um that that my body will be able to not only heal but stay well and i truly believed that and i would was given a bill of health there were no more clots in my lungs and so they were trying to tell me i needed to keep going but i think we should be able to have a choice as to what we do with our bodies it is our bodies and we know our bodies well and so i said i don't want to and so I, I then started on my own real um, healing journey. And I ended up speaking to a medical doctor friend of mine who also practiced Ayurvedic medicine, this, this lovely Indian man. And he, he was the one, he said, you know, if you can find a natural emphasis on natural high alkaline spring water, he said that might be able to help your body stay in balance. It's a very, very brief kind of um a way of describing what he said. He went into some detail, but when you have blood clots, essentially your 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 your, your cells are starting to clump together, creating this thing called rouleau. So rather than freely moving around, they start to kind of form like a rugby scrum, and so they all kind of come together, and and that's not what you want. 
And so that often happens when there's a, a small drop in your blood pH. And people talk very much about, oh, you're, you, you're acidic or you're alkaline, right? But but our blood pH, our blood does so much, so much to try to keep that small level of, of um, slight alkalinity perfect. It is like a 7.35. And if it goes just a fraction lower, that can be incredibly serious. Like if you went into actual acidity, it's quite likely you would be dead. So they're, they're extremely serious, the little tiny incremental changes. And so um, so I thought, well, just drinking water, that, that alkaline water in New Zealand, most of our water is above a seven. Even the rainwater tends to be around a 7.3 in lots of areas. So I started drinking more alkaline spring water. And uh, I did two-week trials on myself because I thought, well, I really want to find the water that works for me. You know, I want to find the one that somehow, you know, is the best one that I should continue to drink. And so I started to do that and I felt hydrated. You know, I didn't change my skincare or my diet or anything like that. And it's a difficult thing, isn't it? Because we're like this meat suit and we don't see the inner workings of our body. So we don't really see how fluid we are. I often say to children when I when I go into schools and talk, teach a mix of art and science, um, and I say, if your skin was invisible and your organs were see-through, what would you look like and how would you recognize your parents? And it's quite interesting because children will often come back to, well, we look like rivers and streams and tributaries and waterfalls. And one child said he looked like a brain-shaped cloud with electrical rain shining down through his body. And I'm like, damn, where'd you come from? Mm. And then um, this little girl said, I'd always recognize my mummy because of the way she feels. And so, you know, it always comes back down to, to energy um, and vibration. And so you know, we're kind of looking at this. And so we have this kind of suit that covers up the fluidity of our body. And so that's that's what that is. And so I'm like, well, you know, I feel hydrated. I feel pretty good. And I had a wellness center back then as well. And a lady who was one of my clients came to me and she said, I know this this old guy's got his own private water source. It's, a, um, it's an underwater aquifer. And he's only giving the water to cancer patients and the pH of the water is 9.9. And I'm like, wow, I, I need to try some of this. So I went and saw him, I told him my story and he gave me a month's worth of this water to drink. And within three days, I noticed a really big change in a topic that so many people don't like talking about, um, which is bowel motions. <laughs> you know, there's mm -hmm. so many people sitting on the toilet trying to push out a pebble for an hour and that is because they're grossly dehydrated. It's a, it's such a big problem, especially in the West. And a lot of people, and I, I didn't even believe this when I first heard it, but statistically it's true. There is a number of people in the West, particularly in America, that don't actually ever drink water. They don't drink water on its own at all. They just don't like it. And so there's nothing really can replace this life force energy that is water. You know, we're so keen to flavor it up. But when you, your body gets really, really clean, you start to actually even be able to taste the differences in different waters. And you, they have a different texture even. And there's there's serious differences 
between different waters. As a side note, I can't remember the man's name, Martin Reese, I think. And he's this guy, this water sommelier in California. And he had this um he had this woman who um reporter that went to go and talk about his aquadeli, like he has this um this restaurant, but he has about, I don't know, a hundred different types of water you can choose from. And so she was, he gave her like glasses of glasses and glasses of all these different waters to try. And after a while, this woman is literally drunk and she's slurring and she's just like, oh my God, I feel like I'm drunk. And she he said, yeah, sometimes if you mix different waters together, you can get this kind of weird drunk kind of sensation. And I'm like, Wow. Well, if people knew that, they would be trying to all these different kind of waters together to see what would happen. Anyway, so and, and then I um I I was like, okay, well, let's this is a good sign. You know, things are moving. I'd had so much bowel surgery. I'm like, okay, well, something's shifting, and I haven't changed anything else except drink this water. With alkaline water, naturally alkaline water, you really want to not eat it with food. So to have it at least half an hour before or after eating food, thinking about eating food, you're trying to digest food. It's, you know, tummy's creating all the acid and what's already acid, but, you know, it's working as it should. So it, it's it's important to use it as a medicine water, really. Um, and so I was having a liter in the morning before I ate and a liter in the evening an hour after I had dinner. And that was all I was taking. I wasn't drinking it throughout the day. I was using it in a kind of protocol. And within day, I think it was day 10, I noticed something really weird going on. I had all these bumps that were coming up along my arm and jaw that were super painful. And I'm like, well, I know my body is like purging here, but I don't know what it's trying to purge. Like, because one area was so angry and raised and I'm like, oh God, what is that? And I was touching it. It was sharp feeling. Gross as it sounds, I ended up getting some tweezers and I'm like digging in my arm and I pull this thing out and it's a little shard of green glass. And I'm like, oh wow. my God, heck is that doing in there? And over day 10 and 12, I had 27 pieces of green glass that I pulled with some help out of my arm and out of my jaw that had just literally been pushed to the surface. And I knew exactly where they had come from. As, oh. as I mentioned, you know, the I had the car accident. Yeah. Well, the guy owned a nightclub and in the back of the car were crates of Steinlager beer. And when we rolled, um, my arm must automatically have gone over my face. And so this right side of my arm and jaw got the brunt of of the crate and the loose bottles that shattered on that side and the other side got more of the windscreen and so of course that was shocking to me and i'm like i, I what because i could see in my arm that there were like that there were where the scars were and there's still little tiny bits of gravel I can see in there, but the glass came out. And so I was then on this big journey, like how the heck can that happen? Like, what is it about this water that could make my body purge like this? And then you go to the obvious things, you know, you can go, oh, well, let me look at the analysis of the water. What's in the water? That must, you know, the, the water must be the reason. And so, you know, you look through that and you see, okay, it's got high bicarb, which is one of the reasons it's got the high alkalinity. Um, 
It's got, you know, a good amount of silica, but not like off the charts. It's got a 220 TDS, which is total dissolved solids. So mm -hmm. that's its kind of salt and mineral content. But, you know, I'm looking in this and I'm going, oh, yeah, it could be that. It could be that. It could be this. But none of that is really, really resonating with me. And I'm like, there's got to be more to this. And then, you know, I started to really look into um, Tesla, for example. Tesla says, you want to know the secrets to the universe? Look at, you know, um, energy, frequency, and vibration. I'm like, well, what's the energy, frequency, and vibration of this water? And how can I figure out what that is? And then I began to realize that, okay, well, all I'm looking at is what water holds. What do I know about the water? What is water? And I went down a very deep inquiry on that, and I'm still actually doing it. And um, I mean, I've been working as a water researcher and crystallographer for 10 years, and I'm, and I'm still going down that journey. And I think to really look at what is water outside of just what it holds is one of the most important questions we can ask ourselves when what, asking what it is to be a living being. And so I, I started to wonder how can I know what the energetic state of water is how can I know what what water is is showing me here so I, I wanted to make sure that it wasn't only me that was having this incredibly purging experience and I thought well you know I have this wellness center here maybe people will want to try it and they won't mind if I kind of do like a, as much of a clinical trial as I possibly can without it being actually a clinical trial. So I was very serious in the way that I documented anything that changes that happened with them. So each person um, took this, did the same protocol as me, did a liter of this water in the morning and a liter at night. And from the extremely high top athletes who are just looking for that incremental extra bit of energy or difference, they really, really said that they noticed that all the way down to the people who had, were extremely unwell. One man who I, um, I I know is still very well, and this was quite a lot of years ago now when all of this was going on, and, um, and he had been told he had stage four cancer, and he wanted to try to heal himself before he went down any of the chemo track. And so he was doing the internal work, which which can't be overlooked. That is so important. But he also did a 27-day water fast using this water. And two weeks after the water fast, they couldn't find any trace of cancer in his body, and he's still cancer-free. And what we discovered was there were three other people, um, one man and two women, who did smaller fasts that had um, some type of cancer that saw improvements. So uh, it's quite a commitment to do 27 days, I think, without food. Um, but when you you when you get results like that, I mean, goodness. But I'm not saying it's it's the the reason. The water wasn't necessarily the only reason. I do believe that that clearing your I was going to say clearing your crap, but clearing your your um, your internal icebergs is the best way to really begin to heal. And I, I remember watching the scientists once say that I thought it was always quite profound because they were talking about, you know, how when you see an animal or a person, but in this situation, I'll just say, say a bird, 
And when a bird dies, you see that it's become very hard and rigid and rigor mortis is set in. He said that emotionally, anything that's hardening you is slowly killing you. And he was relating it to that's what happens as we die, we harden. And he said we need to learn to soften. And I think that that word soften is very powerful because we get told to do a lot of things. And I remember a friend once had a had a partner and um, he was a fireman, actually, and he did a lot of Reiki. He was a really wonderful kind of mixed bag. And, um, and she was having some real stuff coming up and she was being triggered by him, but it had nothing to do with him. And they were walking and she was in a mood. <laughs> she was just telling me all this. She's in a really bad mood. And, and, and she was taking it out on him and, and really had done nothing. And he looked at her and with such kindness, you know, and compassion, he said, just soften. Mm. And I'm like, oh, you know, as a woman, I'd much prefer to hear that than, than just snap out of it. You know, there's something very strong and powerful and kind in that word soften. And so when I um, was like looking at all these different people having experiences that were improved, like everybody's eyesight improved, which is interesting because our eye lens is 99% water. So we literally see everything through the lens of water. Not to mention that by molecular count, not by volume, we're 99% water. In context, you know, that... Uh, we, there are more water molecules in our bodies than stars in the Milky Way. This is like a remarkable amount of water that we are made of. And each molecule of water, you know, has its own energy and a negative charge in our body too. So that's, that's um, more going into Dr. Pollock's work about the fourth phase of water and the unique differences that, that different waters have. So we know about a liquid solid gas, but then there's this type of gel or plasma that um, is within our cells. But that type of water um, is H3O2, so it has more hydrogen and more oxygen, but it has interesting properties. And this type of water can actually be found outside the body. So that type of water is often found in deep underwater aquifers under pressure. And it, it creates a battery. So I, I've been fortunate enough to go to the lab and watch them look for it. It's not in all waters, but it's certainly in some. And it's fascinating because it almost seems impossible what we're seeing. So you get like a little beaker of water. And then you put something called microspheres in it. So that means you can see movement. And then you put this little naphion tube, which is this little kind of see-through tube, and then you look under a microscope. And what you'll see if there is exclusion zone, which means uh, that it excludes solates. So it creates a negative charge where the solates are not and a positive charge where the solates are pushed out, which you have a negative and a positive, you have a battery. And so what you see is that the water will self-propel through the tube and it, it's creating its own energy source, which is creating a negative charge, which is actually really, really interesting because Anything, when any healthy cells are negatively charged, the earth is negatively charged, which is why it's so good to walk barefoot on the ground because that charge is coming up through the body. Why it's wonderful to go to walk along the beach because it's full of negative ions coming off the ocean. So we're kind of like liquid crystal walking solar panels. 
you know, whereby we're absorbing all of this wonderful light that's charging us. Um, and, and this type of water is, expands with infrared light. So infrared saunas are so good. Sitting by the fire is so good. You're absorbing that infrared light as well, which is, um, I remember Jerry Pollack giving a talk with, um, I can't remember the man's name, but they were talking, he was talking about how in the old times, when, and even now, we still love sitting around a fire, but he was talking about cave people sitting around a fire and absorbing that infrared light and giving them more immunity, giving them more sort of strength. So I always thought that was quite interesting. Um, so I began very much inquiring, like, well, if this water can do this, like, why is it so special? What is water? So I began researching Dr. Pollack's um, work. And I was actually inspired by three people. So I can talk this entire stuff without you asking me a single question. So I'll stop because you might have some questions to ask me before I launch into how I actually started my work and who inspired me. <laughs> You're making our job easy. We just have to say, like, what's your story? And then you go for 90 minutes. It's perfect. Yeah. Um, well, no, I mean, I don't know if you were going to go in this direction, but um, when this movie came out a very long time ago, What the Bleep Do We Know? I first was introduced to Dr. Masaru Emoto's water experiments and the power of intention and and impacting, you know, the structure of water. So I don't know if you were going to talk about that at all and how that influenced your work, but I'd love to maybe get into that a bit. Yeah. That was my next uh, thing I was going to talk about. So that works perfectly. Cool. Um, so there were three people who really inspired me to begin my work as a researcher and as a crystallographer. Crystallography is just a fancy way of saying that I basically take photos of, of ice in a specific stage um, after having inspired it in some way. So the first person, as you mentioned, Emoto. So... I'm sure most of your viewers already know who he is, so I probably don't need to go into an explanation. He's a Google away. But he would flash freeze water and photograph it through the microscope after he had influenced it by a negative or positive, if you want to use those terms, influence. For example, the word love and the word hate. Or he would also use heavy metal and classical music. And I really would want to talk about that too. His work is very much seen in contrast. Okay. But life isn't so much contrast. Human beings are addicted to seeing the best and the worst of things. Look mm -hmm. at our videos. Look at all of the different things that people like, oh my God, look how bad that is. Oh my God, that's amazing. Like, But real life is so much in between. And it's quite dangerous sometimes too, because I work with a lot of children and I have three of my own miraculously because three doctors told me I'd never be able to have children after all the scar tissue I went through, I had and endometriosis and the car accident. So I, I had a child for every doctor that told me I couldn't because I hate being told what I can't do. <laughs> but I didn't have them out of defiance. I mean, really, they're all the beautiful miracles. And so, um, and so, you know, we we have um, this whole kind of. Uh, um, idea of of extremes, which is interesting. But when you see, so for example, my son he saw a Moto's work years ago, right? And he saw um, heavy metal and classical music. So if you looked at that work, you might think, well, Water only likes classical music and John Lennon. You know, you might think that, and and 
and, and, and a young boy, and I think he was only, I don't know, maybe 11 at the time or something, and he said to me, water hates me. And I'm like, what, my child thinks that water hates him? What are you talking about? And, he's, and he said, well, you know, look, it only likes classical music. And I said, and he said, I don't really like heavy metal, but I don't like classical music. And I like rap. And water doesn't like swear words. And I like Tupac. And he swears. So water doesn't like me. And I'm like, oh, my God. Okay. Right. So we need to rectify this because that is not true in my experience. In my experience, if water, the person that did the study on the heavy metal probably didn't like it. And, and water is very responsive to how we feel. And so I said, well, I'm going to show you how water responds to lots of different genres of music. And my discovery was that water is very interested in words and the vibration of words, as well as the, the sounds and the rhythms. And what I found was that water would often design, um, would form into the shape of a specific word. For example, when I did Stairway to Heaven, I would see the stairway appear in the ice. And I would re I repeated that, and I and I saw oh there's that stairway again, and there's that stairway again, and that led on to something called hydroglyphs. And I've gone from zero to hero in my work, so we'll get back to who inspired me. Mm -hmm. okay. But I think it's important to know about 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 that. Sometimes I think it's just because in a child's mind, if they can't identify with either example, they tend to assume the worst. That's, and yeah, so, many adults as well. Yes, many many mm -hmm. adults too. Because in that definition, anyone who doesn't like class, who doesn't like classical music and only likes heavy metal, isn't then water doesn't like it. Yeah. And I think that water is the the very thing that water is not is in judgment. I think the more spiritual aspect of water is the observer, never in judgment. So we, but but this is not to say that Emoto's work was not important or significant, even though he was not embraced by the scientific community, because he openly um, shared that he cherry picked his photos to show the best ones what he was trying to display. But he opened the doorway for people to see themselves as sensitive bodies of water, sensitive to thoughts, environment, sensitive to music, all these things, which of course we are. And this is very important. And pictures speak a thousand words. And his pictures, even though there are, you know, not hundreds and hundreds of them out there, but the same ones have been shown worldwide and they have had such a huge significant impact on people. And that has been so helpful with my work. So I am ever grateful to Emoto for having the courage to be a pioneer to put that concept out there. The second person, his name is Laurent Costa. He's not so well known, although I think he should be. He is a French microscopic photographer and uses a similar technique to a moto in the sense that he flash freezes the water and photographs it microscopically. However, he did not want to experiment on water because he thought that and thinks that water is a spiritual teacher. In a similar vein to me, because I come from a very indigenous perspective and loving perspective with water. Uh, my father is native New Zealand Maori, and uh, the Maori believe that water is essentially a living being. 
and we can communicate with our ancestors through water. And there is something, there's a huge sense of responsibility to water. There's a saying that the health of the river reflects the health of the people. That's just not physical health, that's emotional and spiritual health included. And so there is this idea that if you're experimenting on someone you love, there's something maybe not right about that. And so by going into this concept with the, with Laurent, he was very much wanting to just be the observer and invite water to share whatever it wanted. Yeah. So sometimes he would smile at the water before he would flash freeze it. So rather than, he did get geometry similar to Emoto's beautiful snowflake-like images, but what he was seeing was smiley faces. He was like, when you see a little ice smiley face looking down the microscope at you and, and looking up, it's like, God damn, you know, this is really, really so cute. How can I not smile at this? And he was seeing fish. He was seeing hearts. He was seeing images like pictures. And I mean, I've seen them, so many of them. He wrote a book called Journey into the Heart of Water. And he says, has a saying, which is something like, um, uh, the heart of water opens to those who love it. And so he has a very intimate relationship with water in a way in which traditional science may not acknowledge at all. However, the pictures are extraordinary. And so they were quite relative to the things that happened in his day. So if he saw a fish, it was because he'd been, you know, he had a fish tank and he was like doing something with the fish a few hours earlier. And then he was seeing fish, um, you know, lots of little things that when you hear the stories, they make it all the more remarkable. The third person <clears throat> was a man by the name of Thomas Hieronymus. Turns out Thomas is a quite extraordinary man and actually did a lot of stuff with scalar waves, which um, I've only recently just been finding out more about in relation to his specific work. But he was a radionic engineer. And he made a really an interesting observation that when he went into a Parisian meat market on an extremely cold day, he observed that the freshly placed organs of an animal appeared to be affecting the way the frost froze on the glass behind where they were placed. For example, the frost would freeze into the shape of a liver organ above a liver organ and so on and so forth. And his hypothesis was there seemed to be some kind of life force energy still emanating out of these organs. And his concept around that was that each organ has something called a sonic signature, which is a real thing. You can Google like sonic signatures are actually really interesting. So each organ has, it's kind of like a, almost, it's a primitive way of saying it, but it's like a cymatic imprint on the organ that holds and stores the blueprint information for the shape, form, and function of the organ. And that because the blood was very fresh and he thought that there, this information was held there because there was water in the blood, that water was sharing that information with the water in the air, which was very, very cold. And as it hit the glass, it took the shame, shape, form, and form of that blueprint so this was his idea and I thought that's amazing because he's also seeing these shapes with his naked eye even Rudolf Steiner suggests that you look at the um, glass on a butcher's window and see how the water freezes or the frost freezes on that and compare that to the how the frost freezes on um, a florist's window and many people send me photos of their uh, frozen frost on their windows and it often relates to things that are right 
um, on the shelf by where the window is. Like one lady had a specific looking plant and the, the, the frost had frozen into the shape of that plant or her plant. So it's it's really quite interesting because I think the secrets are in the subtleties mm-hmm. to life. And so I put all of this together and I was especially inspired because um, um, Hieronymus was seeing things macroscopically. Because back then, 10 years ago, I didn't have a microscope. But I was still really curious to know, can water really store information? Does it really have memory? Is that real? Because we can read a bunch of stuff and believe it. But until you do something for yourself, you don't have the full experience and the the real knowing. You know, I I watched this uh, YouTube thing the other day and this homeless guy shared just this kind of mic drop moment of of a real truth. And he said, you can only believe what you don't know. I thought that was very interesting because when we say we believe something, we're not saying well, this is. Mm-hmm. And that happens a lot. You know, there's a lot of I believes. And and I have a lot of I believes too because there's, there's a lot of that going on. Um, but it's important to be able to know those differences. So I'm the kind of person that likes to try things for myself. So I I had a Petri dish from some other work I was doing. And uh, just so people have some context, um, I also was a professional painter for many years. I I made big oil on canvas paintings for hotels, restaurants, and companies and, and things like that. And I see the world very artistically. So that's why I was so inspired by, um, uh, Laurent's work because it was visual, right? And so, um, but I'm also a researcher, so I love science as well. So I'm I'm kind of multifaceted, um, and so I wanted to. So when I when I approached this, I really approached it in a very just open minded space. I'm also quite spiritual, um, so I, I, I do truly think that when you have a true science, art and spirituality, consciousness, or intuition, whatever you choose, and you can overlay them, then you have a universal truth. And so um, so anyway, I got my Petri dish of water, and I was going to project a thought into it, because I saw that the secret was in the freezing where the unseen becomes seen for all of those other those people I mentioned. And so I was going to project a thought. I was thinking about what am I going to think, and there was a bit of fluff floating around in the dish. So I put my hand in to take out the fluff, consciously thinking, I wonder if my hand will have any impact on the water's quote unquote memory, because uh, I didn't know if that was real. So I thought, oh, that'll do. We shoved it in the freezer with the peas and the broccoli and stuff and forgot about it. And this was back in the day when I completely froze water solid, which I haven't done now in nine years. But I came back to it. And I was like, oh, yeah, I wonder what's going on in there. And so I, I took it out and held it up to the the light and took my very first crystallographic photo, which is launched launched just just past now forty thousand photos of water responding in an intelligent manner, which bulk wise you simply can't deny. So the picture that I saw in the eyes was of a hand. It took up half the dish, so it's macroscopically huge, and it was so it looked like an X-ray of a hand. And it was kind of creepy. And when I saw it, it was an undeniable hand. 
And I showed my son, I showed him the photo I took on my iPhone because I take all my photos on my iPhone, which is why anyone can do this work. And so he, I said, hey, Rama, what does this look like to you? And he said, looks like a creepy hand, mum, kind of like an x-ray of a hand. And I'm like, it does, doesn't it? And then I thought, well, me, of course, maybe that's a coincidence because it could be. But it was pretty crazy amazing. So then I thought, what, what is going to be naturally informed? And I thought, well, it'd be the ocean. And I lived by the beach then. So I got some seawater and froze a thin layer of that. And I got this incredible fish with, with gills and fins and the shape of its body and tail and a perfectly round eye. And, and then my, my freezer was my most used household appliance. And I couldn't stop doing this work. And I began to understand that water really loves to um, design and images. I always say um, art is the heart of water. And um, then I became more and more familiar with the new science of water, with Jerry Pollack's work and various other people's work. And I got to understand that the fourth phase of water is also found in the freezing, but also in the melting stages. So I was like, well, when is my this the, the these images? When is the water starting to do to pattern? So I opened my freezer earlier and earlier and earlier until actually I started to see that there was liquid on top and ice underneath. And I'm like, oh, what's happening there? So I, and that was at around about four, four minutes and 30 seconds in a freezer that was minus 20, I think it was minus 26 degrees Celsius. So um, I took it out and held it up to the light and the water drained away and there was this amazing crystallography which I now know as the first freeze. So water freezes in three stages. The first freeze is the first layer of patterning mm -hmm. and then there is another layer which also has patterns on the top and in between the water stays liquid for the longest. Eventually when the liquid water has frozen it, it tends to hold the most of the um, minerals and um, various other things that water holds, and that's what clouds it over. So I look back at my first pictures and now, and I'm amazed that I got as clear imagery as I did, given that the first freeze is only a few millimeters thick and incredibly clear, and there's a lot of light that comes through. So when people see my work, they'll see a lot of color in the pictures, and they ask, why is there color? And it's because I love to play with the colors of the background because it helps us to define and see the, the, the shapes a lot more. So I wanted to see if water could um, basically design people. So I used photos of different people. And what I was amazed to see is that it can clearly identify the features of each person's photo. And so I have, um, I'm putting my book together actually. And as I've been doing it, I've been quite amazed at how much uh, content I actually have now after all this time. And so I'm putting face after face after face after face and showing, hey, look at this. Is this random or not? And it's pretty not random. <laughs> and so, and, so um, and then I'm like, okay, well, how does water perceive the natural world? So that then led on to all different types of animals, um, including fish and uh, fish, birds, cats, dogs, um, lions, tigers, snakes, um, spiders, 
worms, like you name it. I, I've, I have hundreds and hundreds and thousands. <laughs> and, and so then, okay, it understands them. And then it's like, okay, what about the other parts of the natural world, world like flowers and trees and things? And so even if you put a seed into the um, water and then remove it and then do my technique, I see that water reads the energy of things. This is important to remember and crystallizes into the energy of the thing. So, so with a seed, we'll often see the entire plant show in the ice, which wow. is which is really truly amazing. Is that it's reading its potential, and I think that's what it does for us. It sees our potential, and I think this is one of the many wonderful things about water. Now, I know we we have limited time, and sometimes you know I wish I had hours and hours, but one of so there is there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that water is responding, not reacting. And mm. there's reasons I have for that. I say that because if I, for example, assume that I know what water's going to do and I'm just like, oh, it's going to do this, that it will not do it. Water is also my spiritual teacher and it constantly, I find it myself being confronted with my ego and if I have an assumption that I know what it's going to do, we have forgotten that water is wild by nature. It flows, it, it's always going back to source, but it's, it's, it's a powerhouse. And we have this wild aspect in us, even if we don't show it. All of us have some part of us that just wants to sometimes break free. And water, and I can guarantee nobody, no one wants to be controlled. Nobody wants to be told what to do. You know, well, some people might feel that they do. <laughs> we both said that at the same time. <laughs> but I think on the most part, if you, especially within relationships, we might put it into those terms. It's like if we're being told we have to do this and you have to do this, um, you know, the, I think for the most part anyway would be a better phrase. A lot of people don't like the idea of that. Yeah. yeah. And so... With, within the realm of water, I see this as a relationship. And if this is a real relationship with a life force energy, then why would I be wanting to control it? And it doesn't want to be controlled because it won't play with me when I try to do that. Not only that, is that water, I feel, um, and I've seen, has a resonance that is quite high. So if I, for some reason, and I know the reason, so I'll tell you why, if I've been on the motorway and I've been in traffic and I've heard the children going, are we there yet? Are we here? We get, are we nearly home? And it's like everybody wants everything at the same time. And it's just one of those days and you come home and then someone sent me something like a restructuring device. Then they want me to do a test with it. And I've promised them that I would do it by a date and I'd like to keep my word. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. But I'm not feeling relaxed or happy or, or, or neutral, you know, and I'm actually pretty annoyed. And if I go into crystallography, it won't play with me. In fact, it will thicken and darken in the ice, which is the same thing that it does when it sits near a 5G tower, which I think is really good to see because what it says is that water simply does not resonate at that frequency. What we've also seen is that when I did the 5G stuff, um, what was encouraging is that when I saw that it made it may, went from spring water to a very disordered, thickened, darkened state. 
when I let that melt and refreeze and melt and refreeze um, five times, what we found is it went back to its original structures, which was really, really nice to see. It remembered its blueprint still. It wasn't exposed each time. It had time to change and reorder and restructure. I think water is always upgrading itself, actually, much, much more than we might imagine. I think it's extremely quantum. So we kind of come back to this um, these concepts around um, water being able to store information. I think this is the real mm-hmm. basic stuff, right? Yeah. Um, and so when I have, what I've learned is that I have to stay out of, um, to stay in a place of curiosity and um, and be in a, in, a, in a place where that's the best answer I can give because you don't have to be all zen and loving all the time. If we are sad, people think, is that going to change the structures? Well, actually what I've found is that water will often display my sad face and, my, and I'm not projecting it intentionally. Often if I'm just genuinely sad, it sees me and I feel like I'm working with a friend. You know, if you actually see what I see in the crystallography and you see that it sees you in your emotional state, you know, there's something quite significant about that. So now we have um, people all around the world doing this work. And I think that's really significant because I share a lot of their features now. So I teach my technique and to be able to see that water can design through imagery for them as well is remarkable. But there are three ways that water communicates. Signature patterns. So you can see that each different type of water has a signature pattern. Tap water is disordered. Rainwater looks like a fan with a curve. Um, Filtered water looks like lots of lines pushed together. Um, As spring water looks like a kind of star with ferns off each leg and and a hexagonal shape. And then you have variants of ferns and flower shapes and maple leaf shapes um, thrown in there as well. So, so that's just an example of signature patterns. Everyone will see those. So when I do my workshops, everyone will see a signature pattern or they'll see an artistic expression or they'll see hydroglyphs. And a hydroglyph is something I'm getting a little scientific recognition for. And I'm actually writing a science paper with the the help, thankfully, of a quantum physicist who can explain how this phenomena is working, which I think is extremely helpful for people that want to know the science behind it. So um, when um, so a hydroglyph is essentially a symbol in ice that I have seen repeat at least 50 times using the same word. Water doesn't read words. It absorbs the energy of words and crystallizes into the energy of a word. For example, I don't know, here is a a pen. I could say here's a pen and nobody's falling off their chair in excitement. So then you have, like I say, this is the energy of a pen. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, that means I can create something from nothing with the energy of this pen. The energy of this pen holds within it things that you know, uh, have a have an intentional purpose. You know, you can I could probably write an entire paper on the pen based on the energy of the pen, and so you then see that the, this crystallography is formed into the energy of a word, and that makes you view it 
in a very different way, not in the sort of very black and white way we might understand language, but in a way which is more overlapping with hieroglyphs in ancient Egypt, which were pictures um, that were designed not to be spoken, but to be felt, and they tell concepts. Each each design is, is a concept. So you're really seeing a story through an artistic, through symbols, through symbology. So I have a small team around the world that has also been helping me see that they, with their different waters and languages, are seeing hydroglyphs. And then we're understanding that there are layers of meaning within them. So earlier in this conversation, I talked about Stairway to Heaven. You know, I was trying to show my son that water didn't hate him. And so um, I did lots of genres of music using my technique by putting the Petri dish of water beside the speaker, pushing play, leaving the room. So anything I felt about the song wasn't impacting it, coming Mm -hmm. back and then freezing it. So with Stairway to Heaven, I kept seeing the stairway. And then I thought after seeing it 12 times, I thought, well, maybe it means stairway. So I wrote the word stairway, put my dish of water on top of it, froze it and saw the stairway. But then Mm -hmm. after doing that 50 times, I thought, well, what if I wrote climb up? Because isn't that what you do with a stairway? And then I saw the stairway again. And I've used other words and not seen the stairway. And then I thought, well, that means there's a layer of meaning. Now we have nearly 40 hydroglyphs it's with, with their layers of meaning. And when you start realizing that they're very complex and sophisticated, when I asked water, what is a hydroglyph? It responded in two hydroglyphs, living and message. So they are mm. living messages. Wow. Um, so initially, <laughs> this is, this is, there's been so much information <laughs> shared. Um, Initially, when you had your healing journey with the water, was it that specific water and the alkalinity of the water that healed you? Or was it the conscious relationship and the intention that you placed in the water that you believe healed you? That's a good question. Um, I didn't really understand about all of this until after my car accident, after that experience that I had. That's what led me on to really deepening my relationship with water. Mm. Uh, what I do think, though, because I was already working in a healing ex- space, and I, I think potentially what amplified my healing and potentially even amplified the healing of the people I was working with because they were all coming to my healing center. This might sound a little far uh, out there, but I mean, anyway. So uh, in the wellness center, I was working with a sacred geometry technology. Essentially, I had a pyramid shape structure that uh, was made by this guy from Germany who made precision pyramids, right? And he had um, made me one that was made of wood perfectly. So you could fit eight people lying down in it. It was quite large. It wasn't enclosed. It was just the legs. Mm -hmm. And we had it aligned true north. So any uh, pyramid, which is not metal, should be aligned true north. Anything that is metal should be aligned um, magnetic north. And so I had it aligned in there and I was doing healing work in it. So pyramids amplify everything 103 times. And so I'm like, okay, well, we need to be mindful of what we're doing in here. And one of the first discoveries I made with water was that when you, like, for example, my wellness center was in front of my house. It was a whole separate thing. 
So I, I was using tank water, which is water that's collected from the rain and it's held in a tank and it comes into your tap. I had two uh, glasses. I tested the dissolved oxygen for both of them. And they were both the same because they'd both come out of the tap into two. And they were four, it was only four out of um, 12 parts per million. So then I took one of them and I put it into the pyramid on a stool. So it kind of sat in the king's chamber area. And I left it for an hour. And when I came back, I noticed there were a lot of bubbles in there. And when I tested it for dissolved oxygen, what I saw is that it was 11 parts per million out of 12. It had risen in oxygen levels so significantly. And then I started to leave water in the pyramid overnight. And if I had ones with a bottle and a twist cap, I'd undo the cap and it would literally be like carbonated. It would go like this, although it wasn't carbonated. It behaved like it. And so some of the healing experiences that people just really had in in this pyramid structure, I think some of it was based upon the fact that they were probably getting oxygenated and that it was creating that environment. It was interesting because the longer it was left there, after about a year or so, for example, people would come in because it was such a fun thing to do. I had a bunch of, uh, sometimes it was like five people come in with their compasses and nobody's compass would point in the same direction anywhere near it. There was a school nearby you had to walk all the way to the school until your compass reading would start working. So it was that had created, the longer it's left there, the more it holds this very interesting energy. Um, and then when I would be working with somebody in there, they, they would be lying down. We knew it was time for them to end when this freezing cold air would kind of feel wash over us and we'd start getting really cold. So I think... It might have been that I was also working in this sacred geometry structure regularly that helped amplify my healing. But I also think that because I was so enamored with this water and I was going and I was collecting it myself from source, mm-hmm. you form this relationship. There is this kind of um, uh, pilgrimage to go collect the water because with so often with what we eat and what we drink, we have no connection to where that source of food or water was from. And when you build relationship by going to the land, by collecting the water, by seeing it come up, by actually knowing it's and intimately getting to kind of even feel what it tastes like in your mouth. I've done studies on saliva and um, where I've essentially spat spat into a Petri dish because you can use my technique for loads of things, including um, urine and maybe wine and different like juices, all kinds of stuff. And you can start to see the health of the, um, these different fluids. So, but saliva is a little bit different when you spit, it tends to create bubbles. So when you freeze them, what I, what I discovered is that the saliva in your mouth tends to hold the vibration of the last word you spoke. And that is easily seen by the different designs that form on the bubbles. So one example is that Jerry Pollack was trying to give me some good advice and he said, do a survey. And he said, do a survey with 25 of your photos. Simply say, what does this look like to you? Right. And so this was then, I circulated it around social media through other people. So people didn't know it was coming from me. 
and they didn't even know what they were looking at. 297 or so people did the survey. 85% of people were able to recognize the images for what the influence was prior to freezing. Out of those three, there were three images where 100% of people were able to recognize the image for the influence. One of them was when I had spoken about the number eight and spat into a dish and photographed this number eight that was almost like stamped into this bubble. And um, and so what's interesting about that is that it ties in with this idea of blessing or being grateful for the food or drink you're about to have. And if you think about it, the water that you're about to drink, the first liquid it comes into contact with of the human body is your saliva. And your saliva holds all the information about you. This is very important too with, um, with people and, and intimacy. You know, I've done a whole thing on, on intimacy. We're sharing fluids, you know, and this is an important part about, especially around um, really kind of mindful, sacred union and sacred connections, how potent that can be. And so when you're on the fence, maybe this is a kind of example, if you're on the fence about somebody, you know, and, and they, they sound great, but you're not going to really know that chemical kind of feeling. You're not going to know how you really feel about them intimately until you kiss them. And that first kiss is going to tell you so much about that person more than all their words are going to, because your intelligent water in your body is reading their intelligent water and you learn all this information intuitively about them. But then you look at, look at Luke Montaneur's work. He won the Global Peace Prize for um, discovering AIDS. I had the fortune of meeting him back in 2019 was when I was at the annual water conference in Germany. And he got a lot of flack for one of the some of the experiments he did in relation to what's known as DNA teleportation. And then you kind of might think, my wife, my work seems a little bit hard to believe and, and stuff, but then you look at what he's done. And he's a serious scientist, you know. And so what he did was take two, um, like, test tubes of water, pure water, put them side by side. Um, they were left. Um, and so one of the test tubes had a, a, had a strand of DNA and one didn't. And so they were left side by side but not touching, um, I think, for a period of time, let's just say overnight. And then they had, they and it left in radiant light, and there was a low frequency that they were exposed to. So then the next day, they moved the one with the DNA strand out and away, and they put a precursor to DNA, just this kind of powder to see if there's any kind of DNA in there, in the pure water sample. And then they were able to identify that there was, and in the same sequence as the one, the DNA strand it was sitting next to. And Jerry said that Jerry Pollock said that this has been repeated. And, and so then what does that say? You know, and then you think about intimacy and you think about, gosh, if DNA can just appear in a glass sitting next to it, what's happening when we are close to each other, let alone when yeah. we are intimate together? Yes. And it, if you are doing it in a sacred way, you can then understand how we are so in tune with that person that we can really feel when there's something 
wrong if they're far, far away on the other side of the planet. We're intimately connected. There is water in the air. It's one of the most overlooked things we have. And we have electrical charge. Our electrical charge, which can be measured by heart map, attracts the water in the air and allows us to have this kind of liquid antenna. So we have this kind of web of, um, of, of energy exchange going on so that we can walk into a room and we can feel, oh, I don't like how this feels because dense energy lasts, lasts longer. Sorry, I can see you no, no, want to say. No, no, keep going. I was going to wait till you were done. And I wanted to I wanted to say, like, is that why also you're talking about how we connect with the water in the air that obviously being in a natural setting feels so much better as opposed to connecting with the water that's in the air, living in a concrete jungle, that's being influenced by the frequencies and the intentions of that environment. Absolutely. And, and it also means that we can read energy. So we're putting our own energy out. So not to forget the power of what it is to be who you are. Mm-hmm. So I'll bring it to my egg study because I think this explains it so beautifully. And then maybe we can we can end because I don't want to take up all of your like hours and hours because I genuinely can speak nonstop. No, we'll we'll get you on again for part two. No worries. <laughs> Okay. Um, so I did a study on egg albumin, which is essentially the egg egg white. So in egg white, you have two parts to the egg white. And this is super fun to do at home. And I'm actually thinking of putting the how to do this on my website so people can learn how to do it because it's a really fun thing for children to do for like um, uh, science exhibitions and stuff like that, like that those little things they do. So um, there's a gloopy gelatinous part of the egg white, which we all know if we've done any baking. Um, and then there's a thinner part that runs out and it's like saliva, except a little bit more runny. If you let that run into a Petri dish, glass Petri dish, not plastic, um, if you don't have anything, you can actually use like a glass Pyrex baking tray and you can do that with my work with water as well if you're desperate and you can't wait for a dish. Um, or a glass with a flat bottom on it. Um, and so you put you let that thin part run in and you get as much of it in the dish as you can. And then you freeze it for about 10 minutes. You don't need to use intention or any of those things. You just simply do it. What I've done, I, I discovered this because I was thinking that the most informed warm water naturally should be amniotic fluid. And this seemed like the next best thing I could find, right? And so I'm like, okay, so uh, what will happen? So I've always thought that ancestral information is shared through amniotic fluid, right? And I I think it's not just there for cushioning the embryo and all these different kinds of things. I think there's more to it, just like I think there's more to junk DNA. Um, Mm. And so we kind of like um, look at that and, okay, then I've identified six patterns that show in happy free-range eggs, happy, like um, very fresh free-range eggs. And I've labeled them with these six patterns. Four are very complex, two of the more rudimentary. Caged hen eggs can only form the two most rudimentary. They don't form the, the other patterns. And I've done thousands of these tests. So when I saw Luke's work, Luke Montagnier's work with the DNA teleportation idea, 
And after having seen that, even if you put uh, tap water next to spring water and leave it overnight, not only does the tap water improve, so does the spring water structurally. I'm like, well, let's see what happens. So I put a free range egg next to a cage 10 egg and I left them overnight and I did the crystallography of the albumum. And I realized that the cage 10 egg, its patterns had improved, but the free range egg had stayed the same. And I shared it on social media and everyone was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But what if you surround it by bad eggs? Surely it'll go bad, which seems to be the state of the way we think these days, which is sad. And then, um, and so I did that and I did a repeat study on that and I did controls as well. And I used the same batch of each egg. So I put a free range hen egg into uh, in the middle and surrounded it by cage 10 eggs and left it overnight. Then I, 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 sh- I know this is all on social media, so people go and look at the study, but um, the free range egg in the middle stayed beautiful. It didn't deteriorate whatsoever. The, there was healing by proximity. All the eggs that sat closest to the free range egg, these caged hen eggs, the structures improved significantly to, I would think they were free range eggs. The ones that were furthest away, those structures had improved, but not as significantly. And I, and I repeated that. And so what we're seeing, if you put it in terms of people, is that if you heal yourself, you heal others. And I remember hearing my spiritual teacher once say, you know, that the greatest saints and the greatest people who have ever come to earth and graced the earth are really vessels of divine love and that they have healed people that they will never meet because their energy radiates so far out, even to different countries, that, that just by being who they are, they are naturally healing people. And then if you think about how we're attracted to certain people that always make us feel good, they're just, either they're just super, you know, just, just, they're just very loving people and we just feel more relaxed or they always feel, make us feel nice. They have an energy that's naturally healing us. Our pets do that. They know mm-hmm. when there's something wrong. They come and they cuddle us and they smooch on us. You know, they're also healing us because of who they are. It doesn't matter if you're a human. Plants can do the same thing. Trees can do the same thing. And, and we can do that for them too. When you, when you talk about like the structure improving, like what's the arbiter for like a good pattern and a bad pattern? So water's most healthy pattern, shall we say, it is, is the same as the living hydroglyph. Essentially, the, the bigger, the better when it comes to structures and water relating to hexagons. So the hexagonal pattern, it looks like a star and off each leg of the star is a fern shape. And if you were to join the ends of those fern shapes together, it would create a hexagon. So I have had Petri dishes. My Petri dishes are 10 centimeters in diameter. So I've had it one take up the entire dish was all one giant hexagon. So that came from an incredibly pristine aquifer. And so um, you see variations of the hexagon and you can see the degradation of the hexagon. And there is a pattern that it goes down and a pattern that goes up. So, for example, if you get spring water fresh and you're able to immediately freeze it, you can see these giant hexagons. And then as it starts to, to be, and sometimes insert, sometimes you just see smaller hexagons. 
And then the smaller hexagons become flowers. And then those flowers become um, grasses. And then those grasses become like lines and dots, which is more what you see in tap water. Now, people give tap water a rough time, okay? Because well, why would you drink it? It's got X, Y, and Z in it, and it's got this and blah, 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 blah. blah. And everybody's like, tap water is horrible. But tap water, you would be surprised, is the most sensitive of waters. And I want to tell you why. Because in my work, we're not just looking at this at as drinking waters. I'm more interested in knowing the health of the energy of the water. And, and, and for example, um, there is a word called Māori in Māori, and it, it means life force energy. The more life force energy you have, the more mana you can uh, can come into your life force energy, which means your spiritual presence. So what we're seeing in tap water, because I've, I know it's signature patterns, which is why when people learn this, I say learn the signature patterns of your water. If you don't know what it normally does, how are you going to know it's changed? So if you use tap water, municipal tap water I'm talking about, it's usually very, very disordered. So when I've melted that crystallography and, ref and, and then held it to my heart for one minute, say, in a calm and loving way, and then refrozen it, it started to form ferns. It started to form flower shapes. It's structurally changing, but it's not chemically changing. So what are we seeing? This is one of the most important parts of my work, is that we are seeing the energetic state of health of water. And we can see that tap water is like a sick person. If somebody comes to aid that person or make that person some food or be kind or nurture them, there is an upliftment. There is a sense of gratitude that comes from that person, even if they're still sick. So we're complex like that, right? We can be sick, if you will. We can be told we have a disease, but we have still got emotional. We can be happy. We can be sad. We can be all kinds of feelings still, despite the sickness. And so this is what we're seeing in the overlay with the tap water is that, yes, it could be sick, if you will, and that it's holding all of this crap we've put in it. But at the same time, it is aware in its more spiritual aspect, which is the observer, that we are able to actually um, see it's a sense of gratitude change through the structures. We're seeing an upliftment. And why is tap water so sensitive? this particular way, it's because it's the most ignored. You imagine what it's like, you know, we can get two types of attention, good attention and bad attention, both is attention. When you have no attention, that's often shown to be where the worst symptoms happen in a person where you are ignored. In Emoto's work, as you said, you've seen his work, you know, mm -hmm. the rice turned really bad for the hate emotion, really stayed white for a long time with the good emotion. But the worst was the one that was ignored. The one we're doing now, what we're ignoring now is our tap water. We ignore it all the time. If, if, if sometimes we go, oh, it's horrible, but we don't tend to even use it. A lot of people don't even use it anymore. They just don't want to. And so what we're missing by that is that we're not giving it any attention. Therefore, it is so sensitive to any attention at all. And, and I see a big change in these structures. And I think it's important. You know, I see 
um, there's a Maori word too for, for spirit that involves water. It, it's wairua. Wai, W-A-I, means water. Rua means two, two waters, the physical and the spiritual waters. The physical waters hydrate us, move through us. They have function. They go in and they go out. But the spiritual waters are more in alignment with the ether and the air. And we are, if you imagine, we are able to observe ourselves and we can see that people can do that, um, but still um, be an active participant. So, for example, I've interviewed lots of people that have had near-death experiences. And three of them said the same thing. They said the sense of rising and they looked down upon their body being resuscitated as an observer. They had no attachment to the physical body. How could they come back into their body? If their spirit leaves the body, surely it would be dead. We have this idea that that might happen. I think that electrical charge is the silver thread. And that if we if we imagine the sense of rising, that when a, when a gas expands, it cools. So people say that spirit feels cold, which would kind of explain some of that. But if we, if if the observer, the consciousness is the observer with no judgment, then that's quite interesting because I use that tool of observation, observing myself. If I'm triggered by something, I'm very mindful of that. My observer self can go, when was the first time you felt like that? Don't judge the feeling, let the feeling happen and the reaction happen, but we are multidimensional. We're able to ask questions. My son broke his arm uh, months ago and he um, had to have his arm reset, went to hospital. They gave him ketamine mm. and the doctor was like, look, Rama's going to be here, but he's not going to be here, if you know what I mean. And I'm like, okay. And so within four seconds, Rama said, what the fuck? And then his mouth was open, his eyes were bulging. You could see he was looking around. He was having an experience as the nurses were yanking his arm and trying to reset everything and do all the stuff. Afterwards, he came around and I, you know, it took a long time for him to come out of that space he was in. But he said, oh, I was watching them from the corner of, my, of the room. He said, I was watching them working on my body. And he said, I even, he even knew what I said. I was joking with the nurse. He said, I know you had a large joke with the nurse. And, and it was like, wow, that's interesting. So he was clearly observing himself. So we can do that. So I think that that is an alignment with a different type of water within us. And whether water is conscious or whether consciousness is being impacted by, um, a water is being impacted by our consciousness, I'm not sure. But I do know that water and consciousness are so intimately intertwined that they behave as one and that we can learn so much more about what it is to be a multidimensional being, a spirit in a body of water by studying water in these realms and in these fields. And this it's a huge and deep dive and maybe we can get more into that aspect on another time. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it just highlights even more how important intention is and how you live. Because even with food, you know, there are people out there who eat all the right foods and do the right things. But what is the intention? What is the energy behind it versus someone who's like, you know, I went out and I don't know what they cooked everything in, but I'm enjoying myself and I'm with fam friends and family and I'm not going to have this inner critic that's just beating on the door of my psyche 24-7. How could you eat that? 
And it's like those, the people who have that intention and that frequency and that vibration, they're healthier versus people who, you know, are, are, let's say super, super health freaks and worry all the time and think that everything's out to get them. And there's toxicity everywhere that like, what does that do to the water in their body? You know? Oh, I'm so glad you said that because I've actually done a test to prove that. So I, I, um, when I use tap water, and I've done lots and lots of studies, so I'm just giving you small examples, mm-hmm. but lots of studies on this particular topic. So uh, where I held the water in a loving way, like, um, and or I or I said like, you know, um, I care about you, right, to the water, and I, these are two things I've done and I've done many, many more. Um, when you do it with intention and genuine feeling, water will respond dramatically. When you just say, I care about you and you don't actually mean it, or you're just saying it flippantly, it won't, the water structures don't change. Same thing with when you hold it to your heart, unless you do it intentionally and lovingly, rather than just kind of just randomly and oh let's just see kind of a thing we don't see structural changes water it was much more interested in what you're feeling than what you're thinking and I've seen this over and over and over again so I love what you said because there's way too much fear in this world it's a huge amount of fear porn which is addictive to some people yeah and and to be able to actually feel like we have so a while back, I mentioned about this iceberg. Sometimes we like have an iceberg of pain in our hearts, right? So when I had my wellness center, people have baggage. People, have, We all have stuff we're working through. But if you think of that stuff and then you kind of feel, where in my body is that stuff? And then you imagine that that stuff is an ice, is ice rather than something more dense, like more something not that, that's not water. Because if you imagine of all of the things that we eat, we have some sense of power of all of them. So water is mostly what we have within our body. And so imagine that that water can kind of become like a solid and behave like a solid. And so I would say to them, okay, my, my hand is very hot. I want you, and so all of us, we can do it ourselves. You know, you can put your hand on the area of where you have pain and you imagine that it's starting to melt and you feel the sense of like, it's like an iceberg. Okay, it's like a block of ice. Now you can start to feel it start to like melt and start to melt. The more hot your hand is, the more you can impact it. And, and, And every part of your body wants you to heal. So when it starts to like warm up as well. And when I did this with clients in my treatment and my wellness center, you always knew when it was time for it to end because they would want to go to the toilet. And they found that they would come back and they would say, it's like I just drank 27 glasses of water. I can't believe how much I urinated. That's crazy to me because it literally, your body really, really responds to that analogy extremely well because it is a fluid. And if we just think that our stuck stuff is ice, it gives us the opportunity to find ways to melt it. Mm. And, and that works. And, and I think that it's because it's, it's, we have the fire element in us too. You know, imagine that we just bring that fire element on to keep us in the fluid stage. And then we can move move these things through. So, um, 
hopefully that was helpful as well. Yeah, that was a, a great uh, analogy and story. And it's something that I definitely want to take with me in terms of that. You know, and again, you you mentioned earlier about softening, you know, and so just that idea of like through your own heat, through your own energy, like softening and melting these like ice crystals within us, uh, this density, I think is really powerful. Um, and I just wanted right before you talked about that story, I just wanted to share a personal thing uh, about putting the in- intention into things. It's like the when people say, oh, grandma's cooking always takes, tastes better than, than if you go out to eat, you know, that's one element. But even years ago when I bartended in New York City and I grew up in the restaurant business, so like hospitality was a big part of my life. I really enjoyed and cared. So even as a bartender, I love and care and the things I created. And I used to have my client, my, the customers say, even though we're using the same recipe, someone else that's working at the same place, they always felt that my drinks tasted better and feel and felt better. And I'm not saying this to like, like tap myself on the back, but it's just an interesting explanation, even with alcohol, even with something that maybe isn't the most ideal for you, but it's made with a certain intention of wanting to, you know, provide, you know, good feelings or happiness or entertainment for someone. And I don't know, I just, that that popped in my mind and I just wanted to share that because I got that feedback often. So I'm not just saying, oh, one person said this to me. I think that's a wonderful example, you know, and, and why judge what it is we're improving? You yeah. know, if we're improving it, then that's great. <laughs> you know, I think every everybody has the potential to improve things based upon their intention behind what it, what they're doing. Amazing. Well, listen, thank you so much. I mean, this is so much interesting and fascinating things. I can't wait for everyone that all of our listeners just go support your work, dive deeper into these experiments and even try them for themselves. Like I I'm, I'm curious. We have, um, we have chickens, uh, that we raise at our, at our home. So I'm, I'm curious to maybe try your, your chicken experiment or your egg experiment. You should. It's so much fun, honestly. So I'm happy. I'll see, I'll send you the video of, of cool. how to do it if you want. Yeah, definitely. You mentioned um, you mentioned earlier the importance of um, saliva and our partner's saliva. So, do you think it'll be beneficial for people to um, put crystallography photos of their saliva on their Tinder profiles so people can qualify? <laughs> You're hilarious. I was going to make that joke earlier. Like, I'm going to freeze. That's amazing. Well, I, I can tell you hilarious. something something really fun. Um, <laughs> I shared I shared this on my masterclass. I actually share the photos on my masterclass, which is why it's rated R18. So not all of them, but this a couple of masterclasses ago. There's a funny story. My um I have a friend who she has this incredible crystal, right? And it's this big crystal, and it's she has it by her bed. And I used to think, oh God, you know, what would happen? Like what would how would the water respond to that crystal? Cause like that's got to have some serious energy coming out of it. It's like citrine or not citrine, some, some giant crystal of so quartz type. And so I said to her, Can you please put some water by your bed? So then I, I was going to go see her the next day. And I said, and I'll pick up the water and I'll do the crystallography. And she said, sure. So she did that. And then I, I came the next day and I got the water and then I, I, I froze and I had enough to freeze two at the same time in my Petri dishes of the same water. And so I did the crystallography and then I like took the photos. I'm like, oh my God. And 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 I saw no crystals at all of anything reminiscent of her crystal. I saw two other things that were very reminiscent or actually incredibly clear. Um, 
of a yoni and a phallus. And so um, one in each, one for both. And so I rang her up and I said, so, you know, like, what were you doing last night? And she goes, why? And I she sent, her, sent her the pictures. And and she was like, oh, my God, it's ice porn. And, <laughs> and she was so shocked. She was so shocked. And she was laughing because her and her partner had been intimate that night. Mm-hmm. And it proves that I think that wow. water is more interested in what we're feeling than what we're yeah. thinking. And so um, there was an observation that was going on. And I kind of liked that it was like in relation to the both of them. Um, because they were, you know, practicing a more some some kind of tantric stuff, and so, yeah, I mean, you never know what's going to show up in the ice. Um, I've I've done lots of studies on lots of bodily fluids and seen all kinds of things. I mean, when you start studying fluids, you learn a lot about people, yeah. and um, yeah, I mean, I I can get into some more stuff, but I'm mindful that we're probably running out of time here. Yeah, all, all good. This, this seems very late in this conversation for me to ask this question, but like when you do this crystallography, like it's, well, it's literally just like a glass of water next to a photo or something. And then you go and freeze that water. And when you do the yeah. process of the technique, it comes up with that image. So what I do um, for the most part is I have a glass Petri dish. I don't really recommend using the, the glasses or the, the Pyrex yeah. dishes. The Petri dishes are better. And if it's a, photo for example I put it on the photo and then I use 30 seconds as an idea for to as a protocol for people it's not Mm. too long it's not too short but um but uh it doesn't even have to be that long for me now it's almost like the more your relationship strengthens with water the more you understand that it's really almost like a telepathic relationship I, I don't need to do that anymore, but it's nice for people to have protocol. And then you put it in the freezer. There's a specific time that you have to find for your freezer setting, mm-hmm. and that's what I help people with. Um, but essentially I tell people, you know, freeze it for about five minutes and 20 seconds. You need it to be liquid on top and ice underneath. And then if it's still liquid in your freezer, close your freezer and put a timer on for two more minutes and keep doing that until you see liquid on a top and ice underneath. Then you drain the liquid away and you photograph it as quick as you can because we're not in a cold room like Emoto was. So we are in the kitchen generally and the ice will melt quickly. So there are certain tips that I give people which are always helpful. Getting your timing right is the most important part. But yeah. once you've got the hang of it, it's actually really simple yeah, yeah. and and you'll see what I'm saying. Yeah, is there... Oh, sorry. Sorry, continue. Sorry, you'll see a signature pattern, an artistic expression, or a mix of hydroglyphs. Yeah. Okay. Is there a certain amount of water that you do for everything you you photograph? I give a ratio for people to know how much water they should put in the dish. Um, And the amount is a very important part in the work. Um, but anyone who wants to learn it can just go to my website. I, I have, you know, I have everything there so you can easily do it for yourself. And then for the people that are doing it and actively doing it, they actually have my technique. They can join my private Facebook group. We have nearly a thousand people on it that are actively doing the work and sharing their crystallography. And often I'll pull from that to share on social media, different people's photos. Yeah. And 
you get to see you get to see that each person's crystallography has a style. Like mm. you actually see it's almost like they have a signature pattern going on. So not just water, but people. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Veda, it's been such a pleasure to connect. Thank you so much um, for your time. Um, how can people learn more about your work and support what you do? Sure. Um, my website is my name, vedaaustin.com. And um, I post daily on Instagram, which goes over to Facebook, which is vedaaustin underscore water. And on Facebook, I think it's vedaaustin at water researcher. Um, And for people wanting to go on a workshop, you can do it from my website and you can also just get the PDF of step-by-step guide there on my website as well. Um, If you've got no money and you're really interested, but you're super broke right now, I'm sure it will improve. I do have a thing on my website where if that is you and you can't afford it, you can put in the code blessing and it will be free. I don't want people who are interested in this to not get it because they can't afford it. So um, so there's that. And then I do three to four masterclasses a year mm-hmm. and they are huge. And the next one is on June 3rd, 4th and 5th over three days. And the topic is what can different religions, faiths, cultures, and ancient texts teach us about water? Mm-hmm. And I have the most amazing lineup of speakers. So I mean, I'm so excited about that. Even in Maoridom, there are 60 different words for the word for, for water. Wow. So um, there's there's a, there's a lot there. And someone said, how can you get all these different religions together? And like, won't there be some explosive fight? And I'm like, oh my God, why do you think that, firstly? But secondly, water is the thread that weaves this tapestry of life together. And when we're focuses, our focus is on that, you know, then we can come together in peace. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Even just like archetypally, um, archetypally, like water is like the foundation of life. It's like the primordial ground of which everything is birthed from. You know, even if you look at the meaning of the high priestess in the tarot and like um, other astrological perspectives of water, like it's that, it's that primal element in which everything else comes from. So I can see that for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Guys, thanks so much for listening. Uh, we'll see you next time. Take care. Smoke and mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion. Waking up in a the time, they think you're in a delusion. Somebody set the alarms, cause they be too busy snoozing. I'm in a DeLorean. Fast forward in evolution to a place where we can share that confusion. Yeah, 450 BC, I'm sharing tea with confusion.